Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup podcast. Thank you very much for listening today. Today we have Jack Stavey and Seb Royce from Nuvo uh, speaking all about how we can incorporate sustainability into our creativity and marketing efforts. Now, this is something really interesting because I think there's been a noticeable shift, even in the past few years, in how marketers are approaching sustainability. Even though purpose is one of these words that is sometimes used as a bit of a... A, a way to denigrate marketers' efforts, you know, we're here to make money. I think slowly we're coming around to this idea and, and importantly, that our efforts have something to do with the planet, our home, and that we should be doing more one way or another to incorporate those efforts into our marketing, uh, even if that the, the main benefit there is commercial benefit. Jax and Seb uh, share their story. So Jax shares his story as a, a former Marine. Uh, and then Seb uh, brings in some really practical actions that you can bring in to be, both be questioning uh, your approach to sustainability, but also look to bring that in across your supply chain and, and your marketing efforts, whether that's in production, creativity, or, or more general marketing. It's a really fascinating session, and I really hope you enjoy. Uh, today's sponsor is Channable. Now Channable are our newest sponsor. Uh, they primarily work with e-commerce brands and e-commerce agencies uh, to enable you to absolutely just uplift your campaigns. Now the thing that you need to know about Channable is right now they have a state of e-commerce report that is available uh, on their website. It's an in-depth report featuring loads of interesting stats about what agencies need to know about e-commerce. So if you'd like to check that out, take the time to check out Channable and a big thank you to them for supporting today's episode. With all that said, now's the time to pass over to the first voice who you'll hear, which is Jax, and then Seb picks up with the presentation element. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So I, I left school around 16, 17 uh, and decided I wanted to go and do something quite challenging. Um, just at that time, as I was looking for the next kind of challenge, the advert came up, the Marines, 99.9% need not apply. Uh, and I just kind of picked that to focus on and thought, right, I'm going to go give that a shot, see how I get on. Didn't, didn't expect to pass it at all. Thought I'll get there, do a couple of weeks, can learn a bit about myself, and then it will kind of put me in good stead for the next, whatever I focused on then. Uh, turned up, did eight months, passed the training, um, passed out as a Royal Marines commander and went to Taunton, 40 commander. I then spent two years there. Uh, flying around the world, Middle East, Albania, Crete, all those different places, training around the world, which was great. Uh, and I went to 4-2 Commander of Plymouth and then to Poole. And it was actually in Poole, my last draft, where I did a evasive driving close protection surveillance course. And in surveillance course, picked up a camera for the first time and, and just became absolutely obsessed. Would shoot every evening, every weekend, would shoot my friends up sailing down kind of close to like Purbeck coastline, Harry Rocks and things. Uh, I'd started kind of chucking on like technical climbing jackets, backpacks, harnesses, um, whatever it was really, uh, and sent them to the brands. In return, we'd get free kind of clothing or technical gear. Uh, and it got to a point where we had a really nice number of kind of local brands we were shooting content for. It was at that point we decided to go, actually, we could probably make a make our hobby a, a career here. Um, and we decided to hand in the notice in the Marines. And I, I left after five, five and a half years and started up the first agency called uh, the Rolling Rogues. Uh, the Rolling Rogues, the whole idea was to use our kind of experience and our skill sets to get into remote, hard, hostile locations um, for film teams. So it was, um, 
it was a, an incredible time and it was a lot of learning because we were just ex-marines with no kind of knowledge of the industry so we we're learning a lot on the fly uh, but we found our niche actually that we could get lean crews into really tight spots quite quickly and easily um, started doing kind of bigger things like tv commercials for garmin which was incredible uh, and grew the kind of client base like that two years into that journey uh, i got approached from berkshire hathaway and i sold the agency to them it wasn't so much the film capability because we're all new to it it was more the network that we had developed within kind of special military groups uh, and they wanted to basically sell technology into that network uh, i stepped in-house there uh, I'm trying to fly through this quickly, so I'll give Seb more space for the juicy stuff. But uh, uh, stepped inside there and headed up delivering technology into the military. And we worked on two different things. One was a virtual reality mission planning tool where we took open source map data, punched it into a gaming engine and allowed, had, gave the soldiers the ability to walk around that landscape in virtual reality before they fly into country. And the second was a stress inoculation chamber where we use virtual reality to put people in stress, stressful situations in VR, uh, just to see how their bodies cope with it and then work out ways to bring that down and control it. So when they are in theater, they can get to a state of kind of readiness and kind of um, better decision-making a lot quicker. So it was an incredible two years I did in-house there, but I, I ended up spending all my time sat on military camps again, talking to colonels. And I thought, this is not the greater world I wanted. Uh, made the decision I wanted to go again in the creative space. But having built technology for the military, the people I'd worked with for years, that was the first time in a commercial sense I had a real sense of purpose, where I was like, actually, if I build something right here, it's going to do a lot of good and it's going to save lives. So I was thinking, how do I get back into the creative space? But how do I have that same sense of purpose where I get up every day and it's much more than kind of revenue and P&Ls and everything. And it's that kind of deep underlying purpose that, that kind of pushes us every day. And at that time, we went on a film set because the, the film team was still running. Went on a film set and noticed the, uh, one of the producers was running around kind of hiding things on set that, that looked bad from a sustainability point of view. When I asked what we were doing, she was like, look, we're just trying to clean it up a bit for the behind the scenes photos. Uh, and I looked behind and there was these big kind of four by fours, generators, floodlights, burger vans. Uh, and we said, well, why don't we cut that and reduce the emissions that way? And they were like, not possible. You can't run shoots like that. And bear in mind, we just spent the last kind of three, four years running lean shoots in mountains with none of that kit. We thought, actually, there's a space here to do good. Um, and that's how New Evo started. It started in productions, lowering the carbon footprint of productions um, by looking at everything from transport, energy, um, the kind of where we were staying, bringing in local crews, uh, catering we were having. And then from there, two years ago, we've now kind of expanded it to go, we want to be more upstream and help with decision-making to really make a positive impact here. So then over the last couple of years, we've brought in strategy and creative as well um, and recruited some incredible people to help us drive, drive forward in, in what we're trying to do. I, I really, really like the fact, I didn't even know that you had gone into the Marines because you saw the campaign, 99.9% .9 of people should not apply because I was involved in that campaign. So basically I've dictated your career, that's okay. <laughs> you can thank me later. Thanks, um, I'm, I'm just gonna, um, I'm gonna share my screen if that's okay. You guys are gonna see hot off the press, a, um, and hopefully tell me you can see that. Is that good for everyone? All good, yeah, we got it. So, um, so yeah, my, my background is in advertising and marketing and social digital for, for, for many years. Um, serendipitous 
Obviously, um, I met Jack at a time when I was trying to look for a bit more purpose uh, in what I was doing. Um, I've used creativity to do a lot of good things and quite a lot of things which I now look back on and slightly wince. Um, and so this idea of using creativity in a more purpose led way and to do something which is actually genuinely good is the, is where we had the meeting of minds um and i'm just going to really run through this briefly because this is an evolving thing but conscious creativity is a new sustainable approach to to advertising and marketing that we are trying to formulate a bit and to give some practical steps for both brand marketers and for agencies to do something good now at the front of this um of this presentation you'll see they are the warming stripes uh, the warming stripes, the best piece of design that we have at the moment, I think, the most compelling piece of design about climate change. Uh, the lines is 150 years of uh, global temperatures. The blue temperatures are when the planet was uh, normal or less uh, warm than normal. And the uh, other lines, the red lines, are when the planet uh, was warmer. Average global temperatures were warmer or hotter than normal. We are on the right of that diagram now, and you can see where things are going. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to go through just a, a brief uh, bit, a bit of stuff on here. Um, but the first thing is that look, we've got a problem. Um, we all know we've got a problem, uh, which is why we need to start looking at things in a completely different way. Um, you know, global economic growth accelerating at, a, accelerating at a pace that never seen before. Uh, this is massively fueled by con uh, consumption and tourism and investment and globalization, of which there have been loads of positives. Uh, so there's been modern medicine, access to information, better standards of living, but it's come at a far greater cost. And now we are uh, at the existential crisis for people, for nature and the climate. Um, you know. There are millions of stats all over the place, but let's just go for these. We consume 100 billion tons of material every year, a figure which has quadrupled since 1970, and only 8.6 of that material is recycled, which is a really sad indictment of where we are at the moment. Um, our use of natural resources means we need at least 1.7 planet Earth to keep up with current consumption, which is horrendous, and half the world's population is gonna be exposed to life-threatening climate conditions if global warming exceeds 1.5 degrees by um, 2100. So, you can go on. Air pollution is responsible for 7 million premature deaths every year. We know we need to do something about it. What it comes down to is overconsumption. Um, the world, especially developing countries, we consume far too much. And as people who work in advertising and marketing, we are part of the problem but uh, we can also be part of the solution. We had a chat the other day, actually, and we love this concept of having a look at what our career footprint is. That is the sum total of the environmental impact of our working life. And we started talking about how our career footprints might be different. Uh, you could calculate on the businesses you've worked for, the brands you've worked on, the campaigns you've produced, the media through which you distributed your work, and the countries you've traveled to on business. There's no metrics around this at the moment, but I think when you start putting it together and you've had a long career in advertising marketing, you can start seeing some of the impact that you may have had on the planet so far. The positive thing about all of this is, yes, we've been part of the problem, but we can also be part of the solution. 
I'm sure on this call, we have many people who are involved in writing briefs, creating briefs, uh, bringing campaigns of all sorts to the world. And with our ability to create narratives and to spread ideas and change behavior, we have the power to be part of the solution to this problem. But we all know that with great power comes great responsibility. And it is time that we all got responsible. If we are just creating campaigns to sell more of any product or service with a specific aim of just making greater profits, regardless of what that profit is, uh, what that product is, and without full upfront consideration of environmental or social uh, impact, then this is just business as usual creativity, and business as usual is killing the planet. And we do need to do something about that collectively. We need to change course now. So this is the start of a manual for creatives and for brand marketers that tries to define and put some steps around what conscious creativity really means. For us, the definition is a progressive approach to advertising and marketing that is both creative and sustainable. It involves being actively aware of the impact that our work has on the environment, society and individuals and ensuring that we promote more positive behaviours and outcomes. This is the key thought in all of conscious creativity. We have to start with the end in mind. What that means is we need to start considering the environmental impact of our work, of the campaigns, of the products that we bring to market, because that will uh, affect all of the decisions we take after that time. So that's the key thought in all of this is starting with the end in mind. What will be the environmental impact if we bring X product to market? What will be the environmental impact if we do it in this way? What will be the environmental impact if the message around it is this versus this versus this? It's something which can really drive all our thinking if you start thinking with the end in mind. So what it means in practice, and again, this is the kind of the, the manual for us, is that you know not everyone is Patagonia. We know that not everyone could be perfect, but uh, this is for the, for agencies working with brands, and this is a very top line. We have a thing called the Nuevo Code. The Nuevo Code is just a series of questions that we ask ourselves before we're engaging uh, with a brand. And again, this works for brands the other way around. And I'll just quickly run through it. Is what sector do they work in? What product or service do they sell? Who funds them or where is that funding coming from? Who are they targeting? What's their stated corporate mission? Do they have a social or human rights policy? What comes up when you search about them online preceding the brand with review? And if we're still feeling good about it, then and we think we can help make real change, that's when we move on and we try and do some work with them. For brands working at agencies, it works as well as what's the agency's stated purpose or mission? What brands do they already advertise? Again, who funds them? Where's the money coming from? Who are their senior leadership team? And what are their stated desires about what they want to do? How are they reducing their environmental footprint? Do they have a social and human rights policy or environmental policy? Are they actually walking the walk or are they uh, just talking the talk and if you are still feeling good about it that is a great way to to say okay we can we can do something here we can make potentially work together Should just jump in there Seb really sorry yeah, the new evo code I think is is so good for us as a team as well to bond and keep reminding ourselves why we're here and what reasons we're here for because uh, how we run the new evo code is everyone sits around everyone in the whole company and everyone actually debates and votes on whether we should work with someone or not. So everyone challenges each part um, and the sustainability will stand, will stand up and fight for something and the creative team will stand up and fight for something. And it's a real healthy debate. And then we all put the hands up at the end and vote whether we work with them or not. So it's a, 
it is such a nice thing to do as a team anyway. So everyone has a say um, in, in the future of Nueva. Absolutely. I mean, the second point on this is, uh, and this again is for creatives and for, for brand marketers, but is to insist on any potential uh, sustainability issues being included in every single brief. Um, quite often, the sustainability issues are looked at at the end of the campaign. How do we offset the carbon we've done or the damage we've done? How might we improve things next time? Actually, this stuff needs to be upfront. We need to highlight likely environmental or social impact. We need to assure specifically that any green eco, we've just used the, the kind of abbreviations here, the claims are properly verified. And in Weaver, we have a thing called a comms check where we go through all of our clients' um, briefs and we make sure that what we are saying, we're talking about our, uh, the brand's sustainability, that all those claims are checked and verified before they go into marketing. Otherwise, we could inadvertently be part of the problem. It's really important this stuff is upfront. Okay, number three here. And this is, we need to try and generate ideas and storylines that feature sustainable, socially responsible, diverse and inclusive lifestyles and locations. And also think, can these be produced in a way which is sustainable too? What we mean by this is more respect and hero roles for nature, less man-made environments with a material focus, more altruistic planet-first narratives, less status-driven narratives, more EVs and trains and bikes and less polluting vehicles, more sustainable products and planet-friendly services, more exercise, movement, local foods, healthy foods, recycling, upcycling, local relevance and spokespeople. There's a lot of great research which has been done recently about how environmental issues resonate with people far more when they have a local relevance or local spokespeople as opposed to generic global campaigns which people um, resonate with less. We need intersectional casts, we need socially responsible services, conscious consumption rather than rabbit overconsumption, genuine diversity, authenticity, purpose and facts rather than hyperbole uh, and greenwashing. Now, again, we haven't been completely uh, black and white or binary about this. This is what we need more of. Not all products are the same, obviously, but if we have more of the left and less of the right, the narratives are moving, in our view, in the right direction. Number four, we really need to vary the tone as well. Sustainability, environment, climate change can often be really worthy and preachy and bleak and boring. Um, from a creative point of view, this opens up things uh, and makes things far more exciting as well. We shouldn't be afraid of using wit and warmth and humor and energy where it's appropriate and also injecting some hope and positivity. Things can be very gloom laden and very dark and that doesn't empower people at all. It makes them feel like there's nothing that they can do. Um, and actually, we want to do the opposite of that, which is to make people feel empowered. Number five is to try to choose responsible production partners. And those production partners may not just be companies like Nuevo. It may be individuals, influencers that you work with. We're doing some deep dives into uh, influencers across lots of different social platforms to see those who are actually uh, starting to change and live more sustainable lifestyles. If you've got kids, I've got kids. Uh, they are on TikTok a lot, they're on social a lot, and some of the people they follow are actually starting to do some really interesting 
interesting things with uh, living more sustainable lifestyles, but trying to find a responsible production partner is really important. Albert's really interesting as well, uh, because again, it's an organization which has been pushing uh, the production industry to become more sustainable. Obviously, we think Nuevo is a good place to start on that as well. And progressive production, really briefly, again, this is just a very top line on this. We've got a whole other thing on this. I don't want to hard sell Nuevo, but it's more about doing everything from concepting, pitching in a lean, fast way, using the latest tools, all the way through to making sure that you leave a legacy, a special, especially on location shoots, that we, we always give back to local communities. Um, we always feed learnings and subsequent briefs, et cetera. Again, I'm not going to go into, into that now. Number six is consider the media and distribution channels that have the lowest environmental impact. There are lots of interesting organizations which are popping up around this. We should all be pushing our media agencies to be looking at the different channels they're in and the different organizations they work with to see how we can um, distribute our, our work uh, in the most sustainable way. Number seven is to create post-campaign impact reports that are shared with the whole team. On the right there uh, is an example of the Nuevo sustainability snapshot. That's something that we do at the end of every single shoot where we take the project, we look at the real top line of how we did the pre-production, travel, crew, accommodation, catering, and we give it a traffic light rating. If it's been optimal and we think it's as good as we could have done it, we'll give it a green. Um, if we think that there are things we could have done better with more time, or if we looked at things in a different way, we'll give it an amber. And if there's stuff that we know was particularly bad, but there's nothing we could do about it at the time, then it gets a red. And then we'll give ourselves a score at the bottom, uh, which is our project takeout, and we will feed those in to subsequent briefs, which is number eight. It's really important that projects don't work in isolation, that there's progress over the course of campaigns, over the course of a year, so that the learnings we have at the end of the year can really feed into to showing the progress from the beginning of the year. Number nine is to recycle good ideas. I, I'm an advertising creative, I come out of lots of different agencies where everyone was looking for the most original idea. If you're a creative, if you are a brand marketer, you have probably got lots and lots of ideas in the bottom drawer, which if for whatever reason didn't make it or didn't see the light of day. But you will have spent, I would wager, lots of time and energy and effort and money creating or even requesting them. So if for whatever reason, there's multiple reasons why campaigns don't see the light of day, that they store, but you think they still have the potential to make a positive environmental or social impact, then we all need to look for another opportunity to air them. Don't let them go to waste. There are too many good ideas sitting in bottom drawers that could make a real impact. And finally, we've got to keep moving forward. This is a journey. I think we talk to a lot of brands, we talk to uh, a lot of people who are worried about making a misstep. You don't have to be perfect. You do have to ensure that your team and you are progressing. That means tracking and asking, insisting on knowing how you and your agency business are doing and being relentless about things. It's keeping momentum going. It's keeping moving forward. It's far too important not to do that. The world needs advertising and marketers to get involved in being the change. Um, the important thing is to, to not stop on all of this. 
we always end up with all our presentations of let's be the change. Um, and yes, I will stop there. That is a that is a very whistle stop tour of um, of the ten points really that that underpin conscious creativity. And again, we could, we go far deeper into that. Obviously, when we do workshops with uh, with new and existing clients, I'm going to stop sharing now. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Seb. Like we've got Erica just saying, just wow <laughs> in the chat right now. And, and, and we've got Daniel saying it's so great to see this kind of content, hopeful and inspiring to learn about all this positive change. Uh, and we've got Kelsey saying, feeling very hopeful and inspired from this, uh, which is really, really fabulous. I, I think th there's a lot there, but in a really fantastic practical way. So thank you for, for taking us through those. Um, it, very very inspiring very very useful and there's been some great questions off the back of it too so if you wouldn't mind i'll 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 uh, i'll take those to to both of you uh now but um let's let's go for the first one from simon who says uh it's been a really inspiring talk so thank you um and right back at the beginning when you mentioned the the nouveau was it the nouveau code uh that that you, you mentioned and you said, I'm wondering what percentage of engagements you decline to work with based on environmental factors. So, you know, when you go through that process, who do you say no to or how often do you say no? There's there's probably only three or four actually from the start. Um, and mostly if they're from kind of oil and gas background um, is, is a kind of big no-no. Uh, yeah. I guess because of the way we present ourselves to the world, we don't really get the people uh, that don't care about it. So it kind of attracts the right people for us, which is great. But um, yeah, three or four times, I think, from the start, most recently, a week or two ago. Um, so it shows it's working. Um, yeah. That's great. There's a really nuanced conversation to be had, though. Again, it's not a binary thing here. Sometimes if you put a brand you can hold a brand up people go would never work with them but actually you realize that when you go into the bonnet a bit that they're putting time and money and effort and resource into really changing or doing something positive so we do have these really robust discussions about it it's not as easy as just no yes no yes the discussions really really are important because we want to help people affect change you can't be entirely purist about it otherwise things will change won't happen 100%. No, I, I think, you know, we had um, the head of sustainability for Brompton Bike, who's now moved to Gucci. Uh, and, and she was saying similar things, you know, that um, it is a journey. It was one of your slides towards the end there, which was, you know, it's a journey that everyone's on. So you have to, uh, you have to take people on that. And, and I think there was one of your LinkedIn posts the other day, uh, Jack, about um, uh, green shaming as well. And, 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 you know, sort of putting people off uh, too much. So that's really important. I wanted to uh further investigate that a little bit because i wanted to know at what stage of the business did you implement uh that code because it feels it feels important and it parts it feels part of your dna but it feels like um if we're speaking to the crux of of one of the problems that we have when talking about sustainability in business is like we still need to make money you know and if you had a granted if it wasn't like an oil and gas but say something which was a little bit 5149 um come in at the beginning of the business would you have felt as comfortable at that stage sort of saying you know sorry you don't pass the code or or, or is that something that's coming later as you become a bit more stable so it's definitely become internal now and that's really kind of um come inside the business over the last i'd say six months mm -hmm. uh, before that we getting into the space i knew that it was you had to get it right. It was all about reputation in this space. And I thought one bad decision would ruin that. So we always kind of lent on external um, support. And what you'll find about this kind of industry is 
when you start on the journey and people realize you're genuine and it's, it's the right purpose you're going after, people are really willing to help. So I always had people at the end of the phone that I could kind of ring and go, I'm struggling a bit, what do we do here? And it gave great sound advice. And that's kind of what protected us in the early days. And now we've got to the stage where we can have internal sustainability teams. Then we brought that all in-house so we can manage it. So it's a lot smoother than it was. Um, it was a lot probably of flapping and running around panicking a bit. Um, but then again, we were a lot smaller at the start, so we weren't getting that many briefs through. So it only, only happened a couple of times. But yeah, I just lean on external support to help me make them decisions early on. No, I, I love that though. I, I think that's, you know, even that that external support point feels like a really important thing, given the context of where we are today, you know, sort of speaking as part of a community that, you know, people are generally willing to help. Um, yeah. So, uh, it, it's nice to know that you don't need to do this alone, which is, which is really reassuring. Um, there's a couple of questions in the, in the Q&A about uh, B Corp. So um, that's also sort of towards the beginning of the journey you know, as a company can choose. So um, we've got Robert who sort of says, what are your thoughts on B Corp status? Is it worth it for business? Um, and we've got Paul who sort of says, as a brand, do you think uh, things like being B Corp certified is the way to go slash beneficial? Or do you think it's a bit of a vanity certification? Are there other things that are more important in striving for a sustainable company? So um yeah, it, it, so, so I think it is worth it and we've actually just submitted, so we're waiting to, to hear back now, um, which is great. But it was something at the early stages, we kind of made the decision of, okay, it's a lot of time and investment from time resources money to get that certification. So we we're like, let's spend that internally on upskilling our team um, and training them for the challenge ahead. So that's why we've kind of waited two, three years into the journey to, to go out and get it. Um, so I guess it's when it's right in your journey, but I do think if you can, if you have the time, money, resource to do it, I do think it's worth doing because it's then again, you become part of another community um, that can all support each other. Yeah, that feels really helpful. You know, I, um, from a personal perspective, you know, we, we mentioned the word green shaming a moment ago and, and um, I've been quite hesitant, even though we try to make the decisions in, in-house, you know, to, to optimise for sustainability one way or another um I, I sometimes fear you know that you'd be called out for it one way or another and I just love how you sort of reframed it the other way around you know and sort of said actually if you show you're on the journey one way or another people are generally quite supportive which feels um feels really helpful so so thank you it's really it's really interesting though on, on the question that you know is it a vanity thing um it, it can be if you don't follow through afterwards and I think that there's a little bit of an offstead about it in that um, once you once you've attained B Corp status, the most important thing is what happens after that as well. Um, you can get everything in place, and Jack's totally right. It's such a good thing to get your company in the right place to get B Corp certification. But it's what happens after that. Do you keep doing those things? If you're just doing it to get B Corp and then not carrying them on, then it's entirely pointless. It's about what happens in the next stage. So that's that's how we feel about it. I think. 100% but it was it was like something you were saying before we went live which is about that sort of uh doing doing creativity to get awards one way or another you know it, it's it's not it's not where you need to be um and and it's the same thing here you know if, if you get the B, B court certification then there's no point having it if, you, if you're not going to bother so the badges aren't everything by any way um let's take the next question from from Francis so um just the mechanism for anyone watching in is that um we've got a thumbs up in the Q&A feature right now so if you see a question that you like give it a thumbs up and we'll make sure we prioritize it likewise if you've got a question uh 
do pop it in the Q&A and, and we'll make sure it's asked. So the, the top question presently uh, is from Francis, who says, uh, do you have similar things repeatedly showing up red in your post-project ratings? If so, uh, what are they and how can they be resolved? So I think this speaks to the biggest challenges that you tend to see on a, on a regular basis. Uh, one of them that keeps fly, flagging is travel. Um, and, and what we're not doing is saying a hard red do not travel because we, we get for us to be a global agency and do good in the world, we have to be realistic about it and we have to work with brands in different countries. But what we try and do with that red is benchmark going, okay, that campaign had X amount of people flying into country. Let's benchmark it now in percentage. Let's try and drop that 10% on the next one or 20% on the next one. Or let's find locations that are closer. Or what's the most sustainable way of traveling? Can we take rail? Can we car share? Can we have electric vehicles where we land? And, and then we start breaking it down that way. But that is the kind of one thing that keeps popping up because to do like the bigger productions, you have to have people on set and you have to move people around. So that's, that's normally the, the biggest red um, that we work through. I think what's interesting as well, uh, you know, people, a lot of people are talking about virtual production and we've got some, a really good network of people who are diving into that as well. It's not always possible. Virtual production requires a lot more upfront time as well. It requires a budget of a certain level. Sometimes you have to travel, you just do. Um, sometimes you can do virtual production and the, that world is opening up and being so interesting as well. So I think it's keeping an open mind about that. You know, when we need to travel, we'll travel in the most sustainable way that you could possibly imagine. If we can do virtual production, we'll do that as well. Um, it's keeping an open mind about it. Again, as long as we're moving forward and progressing, I think that's the most important thing. 100%. Well, both of you have picked up in, in different ways, you know, so Jack's sort of speaking about benchmarking against yourself. Actually, that sounds like a really pleasant mechanism in a sense, because it, again, it speaks to what you've just said about there, Seb, which is being on that journey, right? You know, and it's sort of, this is our journey as much as it's the industry's journey. And I, th I think for those watching in, if they feel like I do, where you've got that sort of anxiousness around sort of speaking about this, if you can say, we recognize this, we're measuring it and we're getting better, then that feels like a far more pleasant place to be than like, you know, we are the 10,000th best company at sustainable campaigns in the world or whatever. Um, and it's not about making ourselves feel better, but it's about sort of being realistic about this journey one way or another. So that that benchmarking and that percentage drops actually a really nice way to do it because what we found is a lot of brands that would come to us didn't have any data on the carbon footprint of their advertising so you had to kind of start from fresh you couldn't go and say right here's a sustainability team to do a six month deep dive and actually go back and track it all so what you say is okay just give us what you did as your last campaign uh, and that's people on the campaign the flights where did you travel to the catering you dive into all the details then you can kind of take that as a benchmark and say, right, we're going to have a percentage drop of 10% on people flying, 20 people on set. And it's like you reduce everything to lower the carbon footprint. And then that becomes your metrics then to keep getting better as you work with them over the next couple of months and years. Hang on. No, that's so, so useful. I mean, it, it, it actually uh, ties in with the, the present top question in the Q&A, which does come from Anonymous, but it says, uh, what are the, some of the key metrics slash KPIs you think are fundamental? I find a lot of these things overwhelming and in a small, busy team, I find it hard to get to the crux of what's important. So um, you've spoken about some of them there, but what are those metrics that you'd even just look to look at in the first instance to, to, to for a small team to look to optimize? So I'm going to come from a very production biased background, but I asked, if you go to the ad green calculator, that's an incredible first step because it actually gets you breaking down the categories of a production, uh, transportation, for example, energy consumption, catering, local suppliers, 
and they will actually give you the metrics of what one person on set actually costs carbon footprint wise. And then that gives you the benchmark to go, right, I now have my data set. Now I can put that against what I'm doing on this production. Um, so that's a really, really nice, nice way to start. Um, and then you can just build your own kind of spreadsheet like we did in the early days and go, okay, that's what Adgreen are doing. Is there anything else we want to dive deeper into it? So we started bringing in purpose projects. So, okay, that's lowering the carbon footprint. How do we go to this place and have a positive impact? So we started putting our own lines of going, okay, can we actually rent land from local landowners? Or can we actually bring in people locally that are trying to get into the creative world and this could be their break? So bring them in on a set and they have an incredible case study. Um, the money we've saved by reducing the actual people on set, could we speak to the brand and try and leverage that and give it back to a local charity? So for example, California, we gave it to the big surf fire team that were just fighting wildfires all summer. So it's kind of looking at how do you re-engineer that cash that would go into a project and make it as purposeful and positive as possible out of that campaign. And I think just across the whole process, this idea of benchmarking anyway compared to previous projects, whether it's um, how you brief, how, how often you travel together to do, to do briefings, to do workshops, whether you can do things virtually, um, to production, to distribution. As we said, the whole piece of it can be benchmarked against what you used to do and what you are trying to do. And if you're moving forward on that, that's a good thing. And don't beat yourself up about not being, not being perfect across the whole piece. The point is to look at where you've come from and know that you're going to somewhere which is better. Hang on. No, that's so reassuring. So reassuring. Um, again, sort of looking into the previous conversation we had with the um, uh, Louisa from, from Brompton Cycles, uh, she had an attitude of uh, picking one thing per year. So it was a slightly different um, uh, sort of context. But she used to pick one big thing each year. So it might have been carbon footprint or it may have been um, going through the supply chain to make sure that um, workers were being treated the right way or whatever. And, and each year she would pick a big project to sort of focus on. Um, and I think that, again, speaks a little bit to what you are as well, which is like, you know, uh, pick the things and go on the journey. But it may be overwhelming if you sort of benchmark against the whole industry. And so if you go on that journey, it feels um, it feels really, really important. I think it definitely has to be bite-sized chunks in the right direction. And, and that's something that we're trying to really do here. And hopefully you saw it today from uh, Seb's presentation. It was how do we take the incredible research and data that's been done out there and how do we bring that in and then make it consumable and make it fun and make it creative and make it actually talk the right language for our industry, right? How do you get people to go, oh, I can take that little bit of information. I can put it into my day-to-day -day right now. And I can start acting better in this space, or I know I can have a positive impact tomorrow on this brief that I'm starting. So a big thing of us is going, how do we take that information and put it into a language that gets us infused and excited and inspired and actually want to move in that direction rather than going, hey, if you want to start doing better, here's a 12-week course you have to go on. Here's loads of exams you have to sit. Here's something you have to live and breathe by. As going, okay, let's, if we want the mass audience here, the mass industry to make better decisions, we need to give it to them in a way that's easy to adopt and understand. Hundred percent. And with with that um, on on the many, uh, measurement stuff, you mentioned the Ag Green uh, report or, or the Ag Green uh, as a resource. Does that also tell you how to measure these things? So I'm, I'm using I'm thinking as an example with stuff like carbon footprint. You know, it seems seems big and confusing and and difficult to to sort of start to measure these things one way or another. I mean, have you had to develop your own methodologies 
to measure these things, to be able to benchmark against them, to improve them? Or is there sort of like accepted standards out there that, that people can can easily plug into, particularly if they're in like smaller teams and, and trying to figure this out one way or another? The, the ad green's perfect for the smaller teams because it's all manual. So it'll tell you how many people you've got, where you're flying to, and you just input that data, then it will give you your overall carbon footprint. Um, but it is it is quite time intensive, so you have to you have to commit to it and stick to it really to to measure it. And you'll start then building up. Once you do it more and more, you start building up a picture in your head of, okay, I know that's worse than that, and then you start understanding it. Then you can kind of make decisions up front that you know will have a positive impact before you even input it all into the systems. One of the things we're working on is to try and build a bit more of a user-friendly interface on top of some of this technology, because it is quite dense, it's quite difficult to penetrate into sometimes. So how can you give producers, how can you give people planning campaigns, tools which make it really easy to start looking at things in a more visual way? Because um, some of it is a bit crunchy and it does, as Jack's saying, just take a bit more time. So we're looking at that at the moment. How can we make it more accessible? How can we open it up and make it simpler for, for agencies, brands of any size to, to dive into? It, it, that feels, you know, important to use a, a rubbish analogy. You know, I guess ChatGPT, as an example, has, has sort of taken off so uh so much because the user interface is so simple right you know one way or another and so i guess once these things become easier to use then then they become easier to understand easier to measure and, and off we go so um yeah that, that feels really important and useful um, yeah um very good um i wanted to pick up on on the briefing point because you made it quite early on uh, and it felt like something that was quite important the way that you spoke about it there seb you 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 felt quite enthused about the briefing element in particular um and so i wanted to understand how you actually insist upon the 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 green maybe that's the wrong language by the way insist might not be it but how how you practically go about briefing and sort of saying uh, sustainability is going to be included in every part of this brief one way or another in fact, um, you know, I spent quite a lot of my career, you know, slightly lamenting the fact that briefs get passed between lots of different people, almost in a linear fashion. It's, you know, I'll write, I'll write this brief and send it to you, and this planner person will convert it into his or his or her variation of whatever they've been told, and then that will be transported. It's actually just taking that line and making it into a circle and putting everyone around the brief and saying, right, we're all co-authors of this. What is the really important? What are the important metrics on this? Apart from sales and so, what is the environmental impact of going to? Are we making claims that we can verify within this? This counts for sustainability and beyond, obviously, but particularly for sustainable claims, uh, particularly for uh, advertising marketing, which is putting itself out there as being progressive. Um, we need to all take collective responsibility for that, and that does mean co-authorship in the truest sense of the word. It also means highlighting. Uh, potential impacts of things so that you can talk about it together and go is this worth doing or do we need to change the actual brief on this because if this is really successful it'll equal this are we happy with that and that is again starting with the end in mind but it means being genuine co-authors of, of anything so that we all take collective responsibility that feels important because presumably there's a moment when the rubber meets the road and and commercially something feels a bit more tricky or isn't going in the direction that you want it to and presumably at this point then stuff like sustainability is, is one of the things that starts to go out the window 
first one way or another so could that you always, that, that does happen you know um uh, we haven't got time to do it like that or you know um again so it's just Sustainability doesn't have to cost more, I think that's a myth as well, um, but it does have to be baked in from the beginning so that you're not trying to do something a bit more sustainable a bit further later on with no time to do it. Everything needs to be planned. It needs to be planned from the beginning. I can't, I've probably said that a thousand times <laughs> today, but it really does need to be planned from the beginning. It doesn't need to, things that massively need to change, but the thought process needs to change um, because then you can address all the problems you need to early on. Yeah so important thank you for sharing that because I, I don't think i think a lot of people go in with the best of intentions but not necessarily with the best of plans uh, so i don't think you can say that 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 enough really i think that that feels really uh, really helpful um we're coming towards the end of our time uh, so i think there's there's one lovely question that uh, comes from paul which kind of summarizes you know uh, what what anyone could hope to get from an hour session like today or, or a 50 minute session like today um so paul asks uh, uh what's the one thing you think that brands can do as the most important starting point to start their sustainable journey we, we've spoken about a bunch of things today and i'll throw that out to both of you um to 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 dedicate um one each or, or two or three each if, if you've got if you've got a few but um yeah, of, of all the things we've spoken about, or indeed the things that we haven't spoken about today, uh, what's the most important thing that we could do as a starting point? But I, I would say the biggest thing for us, which we're finding, is the whole education inspiration piece. It's about kind of understanding the problem and understanding how we really can be part of this solution, and then actually being inspired to be part of the solution. Um, so it's something we've worked on really hard over the last couple of years to go, well, we need a program that does that for brands. So we've just launched a thing called Nuevo 360, which is this ongoing kind of program of daily inspiration and tips of how people are part of this and, and they can really have a positive impact. And it's kind of modules broken down over 12 months or so. Um, and it really teaches them about one, the problem in the industry, but two, all the different things that come off that about how they can be the, the positive force behind changing this. Uh, and it's something Seb's been really, really, really super, super close to. Um, and it's, Kind of what you saw today, it's that in more detail over modules. And I think that's the biggest thing, um, because if you have a whole team wanting to be part of that change, it's going to be a lot easier um, than just coming in with a blueprint saying this is how we do things now. And nobody understands why or the reasoning behind it. So that's my biggest thing, the whole education piece, give them the knowledge and then inspire them to be part of that solution. Of that. I, I think that speaks to a very poor analogy is... Um doing maths at school and, and everyone says you need to do this but no one says why and, and inevitably motivation does not follow so uh, so you know like that education piece you know sort of taking people on that journey to start their journey uh feels feels really important thank you mate that's a, that's a great answer uh seb so there's a lawnmower. My neighbours decided to start cutting this grass. So it's going to be really noisy. So um, I mean, everything that Jack said, I agree with. I think that the, the other thing is to involve everyone. Sustainability can't be a, a department. Um, it can't be a you know a team of one, underfunded team of one. It needs to be a mindset. Uh, so every single person from the newest joiner uh, to the most senior person in your organization. It doesn't matter whether you're three people or 3,000 people, everyone needs to be involved in it and everyone needs to understand that they can play a role in pushing things forward. It has to be a collective effort, it can't just come from a silo team. Uh, if you think about it that way, it will, it will 
make you make uh, different decisions, I think, about how and when you talk to people and involve people. Yeah, hang on. That's, that's a fabulous way. I think that um, speaks to so much in marketing, but, but particularly this, you know, given the importance of it all, it's, um, it's, it's bang on. Um, there we've got Miranda uh, saying sustainability can't be a debt. It must be a mindset, quote you. So, so um, that's fabulous. Chaps, uh, thank you very much for today. I think it's been a real sort of mind opener, uh, eye opener for, for a lot of folks and, and some really practical tips as well in, in how to engage in the sustainability efforts one way or another and incorporate it seriously into your, your creativity and your marketing. So it's genuinely appreciated. Uh, so thank you very much for taking your time, a deeply inspirational session. So um, we've got Karen in the chat saying, so good in capital letters. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you all. So you absolutely nailed it. Um, appreciate it um, we'll, we'll share the resources afterwards so folks have access um, and that will be that so we'll be back next Tuesday thank you everyone for taking the time to attend today um, it's so lovely to have shared this experience with all of you and uh, we'll hopefully see you again next week so cheers Seb cheers Jax and see thank you thank you very much cheers thank you bye bye <laughs>